I don't know how I, I don't know how the gospel reading left you. I don't know how you felt at the at the end of that at the end of that reading. It it, it feels somewhat necessary to do a, a a little bit of exegetical work as as we we think about what the Holy Gospel may or may not be compelling us to do this morning. And, and, and the, first, the, the first piece of, of exegesis is, is that chapter 9 is an interesting piece of the Gospel according to Luke. Um, unlike, un, unlike much of the rest of the Gospel that has, that has very elaborate narratives like the journey to Emmaus or the parable of the Good Samaritan. Chapter 9 in Luke's Gospel seems to be a collection of sayings that both Matthew and Luke have in common. In other words, that means it is special material, sometimes known as quell or source. So they're, they're, they're cue sayings that Luke has put together in a particular way, and it seems to me that Luke, at least on one level, is concerned with the difference between someone named Jesus and someone named Elijah. I'm not going to elaborate on that point, um, but if you look at your first reading from the, from the second book of Kings, uh, Elijah says to Elisha, who has said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Then Elijah said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? Which is a strange little verse, is it not? There's lots and lots of ink spilled, as they say, on that particular passage. And believe it or not, if you parse out the biblical Hebrew and do all kinds of very, very careful work, what it, what it means in biblical Hebrew is, is that Elijah says to Elisha, what has just happened with this mantle that I have laid on you is really important. So go back and say farewell to your family and then come follow me. In contrast to that, we have a very, very different reaction from Jesus to his would-be followers in these Q source sayings. Let the dead bury their own dead, etc., etc. So what, what's happening here? Uh, um, part of what is happening is that Jesus has made a decision. And the decision that Jesus has made is to go to Jerusalem. So I've got three words for you this morning to, to maybe plant in your head. Um, the first word is uh, uh, decision time. Was that a fib or a lie? The second one is actually more than, more than one word. Second one is, is bad math and cheap hope. So decision time, bad math and cheap hope. And the third piece that will hopefully be pastoral for us this morning is it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. 
So there is a, there, there is, there is a, a moment in this, in this chapter 9 of Luke's gospel where Jesus has made the very difficult decision to go to Jerusalem. And one can't be sure whether he knows exactly what's going to happen to him, but he knows it's going to be costly to him to go to Jerusalem. And if we think about our own uh, evolution as people of faith, um, it, may be that we go th it may be that we go through stages. Um, the first stage may be warm. The first stage may be learning about scripture, uh, uh, enjoying the fellowship of the church, enjoying our church services, enjoying things like the fellowship that comes with being a member of the body of Christ. Did you like the parish picnic last week? That was a lot of fun. I liked the parish picnic next week. But as, as, as our faith evolves, eventually, if it's, if it's working, if it's, if it's moving, eventually um, the relationship between our, our, the personal benefits of our faith and, and its integration in the decisions that we make in how we're living in the world start to come into play. Does that make any sense at all? No. No. It will by the end, I promise. Um, um, but but you, you, you know when you get to the, you've gotten to these points in, in other places you're, in your life, right? When it's decision time, it's time, to make a, it's time to make a decision. And so Jesus' words are particularly cutting with the people that want to follow him because it's decision time and he's, he's expressing to them the gravity of the decision they are about to make. So decision time um, is our first piece. Our second piece is bad math and cheap hope. Both of these words, bad math and cheap hope, come from, I don't know how many of you were there a couple of Thursdays ago for a really amazing conversation in a program called Life on the Ground in the Holy Land with an author uh, and a teacher and a, just an amazing woman named Stephanie Saldana. And Stephanie Saldana told us about uh, Father Paolo, who was um, the abbot of the monastery where she studied in Syria and met her eventual husband. And she told us a very, very, very interesting story about um, in the midst of the war in Syria, how Father Paolo made the very, very difficult decision after being expelled from the country to keep going back to the country and eventually was seen in a neighborhood where there was an ISIS headquarters and then he disappeared and no one has seen him since. And if you listen to Father Paolo's story and a conversation between he and Stephanie Saldana about why he made that decision, he made that decision and he recalled this passage from the gospel according to Luke and said, sometimes, Sometimes, as people of faith, we are called to make decisions, and the decision is whether or not to go to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is both a geographical place for Jesus, but it's an existential and a metaphorical place for us. Does that make any sense? I am making the decision today to go toward Jerusalem. 
And the reason why bad math is, is something to remember here is because if we, if we do the homework and we add up all the benefits, it's not really going to come out uh, um, as mathematically speaking advantageous to us. And so the, 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 the decision to move toward our existential or our metaphorical Jerusalem doesn't make a lot of logical sense, but it makes a lot of, did you, it doesn't make logical sense, but it makes love sense. Father Paolo said, if I'm going, I'm going because and out of love. So that's the bad math piece. Cheap uh, hope. If you listen to the conversation, Stephanie spoke very eloquently about one of her theological influences who was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is famous for a saying called cheap grace. Cheap grace being our, our receiving the warm, cozy benefits of faith without any cost to us. And Stephanie elaborated on that and she used the word cheap hope. And th th that phrase cheap hope has not escaped me since I have heard it because it's so important. Any idea what cheap hope might be? For me, cheap hope is hope that I have without making any real effort to change the outcome or the situation in the world. So cheap grape is something personal and private, but chief hope is, 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 is hoping things get better and not doing anything along the way, not making the decision to go to Jerusalem in the midst of it. Are you following me? Is this making any sense? Yeah. Um, good, good. No, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, it's not rock and science. This is, this is, this is, the, this is the closing part. Um, I, I remember all the way back into seminary. Does anybody remember a woman named Madeline L'Engle? Yes. She wrote a great book called A Wrinkle in Time. Really, really very, very influential uh, female Christian author. And she was talking to a friend of hers once who was a chef. And the chef friend of hers said, you know, Madeline, um, I don't mind cooking. It's just so damn daily. And Madeline, Madeline elaborated on that and said, I don't mind being a Christian, but it's just so, it's just so damn daily. Making that decision to be faithful every day is a daily occurrence, which is kind of interesting to me because in chapter 9 in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, anyone who would want to be my followers... Let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. And what's the next word? Anybody, any Lucan scholars here? He's the only evangelist who uses the word daily. Let them, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me daily. I don't mind being a Christian, but boy, is it. Every day. It's every day. Now he's getting it. Now he's getting it. So... Um, I don't want to quote a Michael Jackson song from the pulpit, necessarily, um, but ever since we closed that Zoom conversation with uh, Stephanie Saldana, I've been telling, me, telling myself 
something, and that, that is uh, um, uh, not to talk about the love, but to be the love. You know the Michael Jackson song, Be the Change You Want to See in, in the World? I don't know whether that's profound or, or, or Christian or not, but it's working for me. It's working for me to wake up in the morning and make a conscious effort to commit myself to being more loving, being a more loving agent in the world. And a day and a half into this practice, I left, um, I, I left my house and within 20 feet, which never ever happens, there was a man standing on the sidewalk in, in dirty jeans, a muscle shirt, uh, no shoes, well, not, it wasn't, <laughs> uh, and he had, a, he had a cardboard sign tied around, hanging from his neck that was, uh, uh, had words on it to the effect that he was looking for food. And I introduced myself to him, and then he asked me if I knew where Idaho Avenue was, because he was looking for the police department, the second district police department, um, because he had made a lost uh, a property report, but he didn't have an ID. So he wanted to walk to the second district police department and see if they had found his belongings. Probably wasn't going to work out for him. Um, and I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am walking to the Giant, which is right across the street from the 2nd uh, District Police Department. Why don't we walk together? And God, it, we, it was so nice to walk with this stranger for a few minutes towards the 2nd District Police Department where he was not gonna get probably much cooperation from the police whatsoever. And I said to him, I'm going to the grocery store. Um, is there anything I can get you? And he said, you know what? I'm really full right now. <laughs> and he said, and then he said, he said, somebody gave me a, um, somebody gave me a, 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 a gift card to Chipotle. And I just ate a whole bunch of Chipotle, so I, I, I just don't have any more room. And I said, well, what, what would be helpful? And he said, what would really be helpful is it, is a gift card. So he goes to the police station. I go to the, my giant. I, I, I got the whole community going on at, at giant. Uh, and and I, I, I get my things and then I buy the, or, or pick up the, the gift card, check out, go to the customer service department and ask to um, put some money on the card. Um, how much do you want to put on there, Reverend? Decision time. <laughs> I said $25, and then I felt bad. And I said, no, make, make it $50, and then I felt bad. By the time it was all over, I said, I said put $100 on that gift card. And then I started to think about how many groceries I could buy for $100. But it, that felt pretty, $100 felt like a pretty good decision. Um, and so I, I bought the gift card. I walked back towards the second district police department and there, there was my new friend lying in the grass. And I said, there's $100 on this gift card. Um, and he said, God bless you, you just made my day. Um, and it felt like Abraham with three strangers. Um, 
being the love instead of talking about the love. Um, so one last story, and then we'll, we'll, we'll sit and, and think about um, um, what our own decision time um, might be. Um, some of you know the, the author, uh, Howard Thurman. I've told this story. It's an abiding story in my life, but a PhD uh, theologian that I really, really love, Gil Bailey, um, had just finished his doctoral work and he wanted to change the world. He wanted to make it a better place. And um, lo and behold, he had a conversation with the great African-American theologian, Howard Thurman. Um, and he was a bit anxious uh, about what to do with his life. And, and the world was dark for him at that point. And Howard Thurman, who is a mystic, um, among other things, said to him, um, um, Gil, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go and do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. That's not rocket science. Being the love instead of thinking about the love isn't rocket science. Um, but it does require a decision and then a move in a particular direction towards Jesus, with Jesus, towards people who differ from us, um, towards the stranger, and toward love. You said it. Amen.